Good evening. I am privileged this evening first to stand behind this sacred desk, but my big sister is here. Um, and I always feel like I have to be on point because she will tell me if I don't stop. So if I seem a little nervous, it's because my sister didn't tell me she was coming <laughs> until she was almost here. No, thank you all for being here this evening. I believe there's a word from the Lord. And Kristen did a great job in reading the scripture, but I want to lift up verse 18 that says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. If I had to title this sermon, I would name it, Carry the One. Pray with me if you would. Father, you know what we need this evening. I've done what I know to do. I've studied, I've read, I've exegeted the scripture, but God, without your anointing, I'm a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So hide me behind your cross as I preach this, your word, to these, your people, that we might leave differently than the way we came in. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray and give you thanks. Amen. Amen. I am privileged to have been blessed with not one but two sisters, Joy and Greta. I have two brothers, Rico and Soul. I have two best friends. I have two jobs, which ultimately means I have two bosses. Joel. <laughs> I could go on as I think about the two or more assignments that I have connected to my list of things to do. As I thought about that, I began to ponder this message for this evening, and I thought about the fact that we as a community have been called to carry the one or many that come through these doors to God in prayer. I thought about this because I've been protected by the prayers of my mother and grandmothers. I've been covered by both my sisters and my brothers. For as long as I can remember, I realized that I have been blessed to have some people from early childhood who really care about me and have always been there to protect me. It didn't keep me from having struggles but it sure helps when you know that somebody's got your back. Verse 20 says, and when he saw their faith, not the man on the stretcher, but the faith of the friends who bought him, that meant they were covering him. My earliest memory of a sisterly protection was when I was about two or three years old. My family used to go to Caroline County for what we called big meeting. Now, this might be more graphic than you all need, but I had to go to the bathroom. And something happened every August. We went to this big meeting, but I was a city girl, and they had outdoor toilets. <laughs> I said with my snobby self, well, what on earth is this? A big one and a little one. And my sister says, Lisa, do the best you can. I'm right here to help you. Greta was quite feisty. So she didn't have a whole lot of empathy for me. She was like, use the bathroom and come on out of here. And what I realized at that time was as long as somebody was there with me, I could face a trial. I could face something that was daunting or unfamiliar. 
I also thought about it because I realized that two can be a pretty powerful number. The Bible teaches us in Deuteronomy 32 that one can chase a thousand and two will put 10,000 to flight. Now, I don't know what kind of math that is or exactly how that works, but what I do know is that when we double up, some interesting things happen. When we connect with the right person or the right people, joy is doubled and sorrow is halved. When we are with the right people on one accord, we can shake the foundations of this earth. Let me break it down this way. As a retired math teacher, I've taught from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. I retired as an algebra teacher, so I know the importance of understanding numbers and making sure they're in the right places. We may not strike out and, and in, in the right way as elementary students, but as a teacher teaches you how to add, you seem to get it right. For example, two plus two equals? Four plus four equals? Eight plus eight equals? Well, when you get to 16 and you add 16, you have to remember to carry the one. Something magical happens because when you add those two 16s, if you don't carry the one in the right way, you're going to mess it up. In other words, if you're solving for x, you're definitely going to throw y out completely in balance. What are you trying to say, Lisa? I'm glad you asked. I love an inquisitive crowd. <laughs> what I'm saying is that when we are with our sisters, our brothers, when we are involved in any organization, when we are connected with others in any way, it is of the utmost importance that we carry the one who is in trouble to the, and the one who has the issue or the one who doesn't know which way to go. We have to make sure we carry them to the throne and not to the phone. We're quick to talk about it and cloak it in prayer, that we're praying for somebody, but really what we're doing is gossiping. So it's our job as the believers to take whoever is in trouble to Jesus because he's the only one who can do anything about it. The sad part is that many of us can't carry our sister or our brother to Jesus because we got a bunch of stuff going on in our own lives. So we get busy inspecting the splinter of wood in our neighbor's eye while we have a log hanging out of ours. But don't be discouraged because all behavior has meaning. What I've come to learn through studying to become a pastoral counselor is when we are born, God designs each of us with what we call core longings. Some of them are love, security, understanding, purpose, significance, and belonging. If you think about it, love, security, significance, purpose, um, and belonging, you think about those things that we need that we don't know how to give voice to, and so we strike out at people without realizing that we are really experiencing a core longing deficit. I'll tell you, my, part of my story is I was molested as a child from the age of 9 to 11, and I don't have any problems telling that story because God has brought me through healing in that story so that somebody else can get free. And so what did I do? As a part of my process in healing, I had to discover that I had core longing deficits which had compromised the way I thought about me because I saw myself as less than because of what I had been through because the enemy played a trick on my mind to tell me that I was damaged goods. Now the statistics say that one in three women 
have been violated sexually or domestically, and I know it's more than three women in this room. And so why am I sharing that with you? A lot of times when people are acting out, they're acting out of their places of pain instead of their places of power because they don't know what to do with the emotions that they have never been given voice to express. Stay with me. I am aware that many of you might not be in this first list that I have, but some of us anesthetize our pain with sex, gossip, anger. Some use street drugs, some use prescription, some use alcohol, some use food, the gym, or workout routine. And some of you are sitting looking at me saying, Ooh, she ain't talking about me because none of those things apply. Well, let me see if this list fits. You become the overachiever. The perfectionist, the workaholic, the one is who, who is obsessive compulsive, the one who showers over and over and over again because you feel dirty, the one who has to be right, the one who has to be on top, or the one who sells yourself short because of your toxic thoughts. We often don't know how to self-soothe, so we strike out at others because we're in so much pain ourselves. We might not strike out physically, but our tongue can be deadlier than any concealed weapon we could carry. And then silence can be even more painful. This is why we can't carry the one, because often we are the one. The scripture read in our hearing is about four men. There's that double two again. These four friends understood the power of carrying the one. They understood that the crowd didn't matter. They understood that what people thought didn't matter. They understood that the homeowner is probably looking at them like they have lost their ever-loving minds coming through my roof. But when it's your friend, when it's somebody you love, when it's somebody you really care about, None of those things matter because all that mattered to these four men was getting their friend to the one who could heal them. To be specific, I want to bring it in a little bit closer. I thank God that in 1866, when this historic monastery was established, that the sisters of the Visitation of Monte Maria knew that they had to establish a prayer life by praying for the city for 120 years and then start a girls' school. They realized they had been called to carry the many ones who would come through our doors. And then in 1987, when the property was purchased and would become what we know as Richmond Hill today, the assignment continued that this place would be a place of prayer for the people of, the, of metropolitan Richmond. I'm grateful that Richmond Hill continues to call together a community that will be varied, that will have some residential and non-residential members and other participants that will be a place of nurture for many purposes. It continues to offer a retreat or visiting place for many uh, for counseling and conversation, for spiritual direction. It continues to be a residence for people whose ministry is elsewhere, where elsewhere as well as for people whose primary ministry is at Richmond Hill. Scripture tells us that a city on a hill cannot be hid, but it shines its light to the countryside around. So this place continues to be our responsibility where others can witness the Spirit of God in the midst of a busy and tormented world. I believe the people who founded this ministry understood that if one person is being oppressed, we're all being oppressed. 
Emma Lazarus said it like this, until we are all free, none of us are free. I believe they understood that we have been called to be the good Samaritan to help our sister and our brother, brother out of the ditch, not pray for them from afar and throw them a prescription over in the ditch. But sometimes, Richmond Hill, we're going to have to get in the ditches of life with our sisters and brothers and hang out with them until they can see their way out. We're being called to show them a way out because we've been through what they're going through now. Galatians 6 and 1 says it like this, if a brother or a sister is overtaken by sin, you who are righteous, that doesn't mean you're right and holy. That means you have been through some trials and survived with a testimony. You who are righteous, restore them gently. That means with love and compassion and empathy with your testimony, because Revelation tells us that we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So use your testimony to let people know that you've been through some things. You don't have to agree with what they're doing, but I want to suggest that you agree with them in prayer because she is a sister or he is a brother and that you will guard their reputation, not expose their infirmity, that you will protect their character and that you will take their name to the Lord in prayer and walk with them until they see wholeness. The prophet Amos asked in his third chapter of our Bible, how can two walk together except they agree? My question to you tonight is who are you touching and agreeing with? Who are you agreeing with in prayer? Who's covering you in prayer? Are you your sister's keeper? Do you know how to carry your brother? Or are you exposing them with every opportunity you get? My birth sisters and I talk every day. If I don't talk to one, I talk to the other, and some days I get the opportunity to talk to them both. When we talk, it's always about what we have going on, about what's going on around us, and what roles we have in the things that we realize aren't very readily going to go away. We're challenged with things like health issues and how the cost of health care is being affected due to an economic crisis. We talk about people's marriages and relationships and the family and how they're affected because covenant and commitment seem to be foreign words these days. We pray with an emphasis on the children in the family, praying against the uprising gang activity in, in our communities and our schools. We pray for people with a lack of direction in their life and individuals who fight for the overall safety and well-being of our nation. We talk about economic situations, the unstable political arena that we're living with. We talk about challenging government and those in leadership in our communities. We talk about praying against the spirit of defeat, the spirit of hopelessness, and the spirit of fear. So ask yourself today, if you are tired of what you see in our land, if you're tired of hiding behind the mask, and thinking that you need to have it all together when you're hurting like crazy on the inside. Will you say to yourself and the people in this room this evening, I'm willing to carry the one, and at the same time, I'm vulnerable enough to say, I'm also the one who needs to be carried. Will you do that for yourself this evening? Will you receive the gift of friendship today without comparing yourself or your belongings to anybody else's? Will you be honest and real with yourself today and say, I don't have it all together, 
and I give you permission to care for me. Will you be honest with your neighbor today and covenant with them that you will honor and not condemn them, encourage and support them? Will you commit today to not judging but loving your neighbor? I believe we've been called to be Joshua and Caleb that, and believe that we can go in and possess whatever God has for us. We must believe that God is no respecter of person and what he's done for others, he's willing to do for us. It's time out for us remaining in bondage to our brokenness because we see ourselves as grasshoppers instead of the fearfully and wonderfully made people of God that God has created us to be. We serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God who told us in Jeremiah 29 and 11, and I like the message translation, he says, I know what I'm doing. In other words, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I know that I have a hope and a future and an expected end for you. And in the end, the word tells us that we win. I doubt that the people who established Richmond Hill would have come together to define themselves and get their collective act together if they didn't think they were going to be successful. They would not have started this legacy that said we must not and cannot depend on anybody else to do the praying for our city, to be the healing agents and to do the reconciliation work that needs to be done if they didn't know some people were going to come behind and continue to work. They came in, they spied the land, they went back and reported how things look. And in 2020, we sit in this room reminded of what we've been called to do. Those sisters and then Ben Campbell had a common vision a unified focus, they put their personal agendas on the back burner and prayed for the cause of a larger people, which brings us here today. I told you Amos asked the question, how can two walk together? Well, here's the answer. We can walk together because we agree that it's our job to pray for the city. So how do you care to one? I'm gonna tell you and I'm gonna sit my simple self down. Four things. You must recognize that Jesus is the one with the healing virtue. I'll come back to that. You must recognize the need to help someone else. You must recognize that you may have something to do that goes against the norm. And then you must recognize that the Lord is worthy to be praised. My first point says that you must recognize that Jesus is the one with the healing power. Let me tell you, I was meeting with a guy who was here today to look at Richmond Hill to do a private retreat, and he said, what do you think your gifts are? I said, oh, one of my gifts is healing. Well, when I was a babe in, in my healing call, I said to him that my ego wanted to get in the way when it was time for me to operate in my gift, because I wanted people to see me. My job is to point people to Jesus, not to look at me. We, verse 17 says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Yes, the Lord will use us as healing agents, but it is only going to happen when we stay tethered to the, the hem of the garment of the Lord and recognize that without him we can't do anything. We can't let our ego, our pride, or our personal agendas get in our way. And then secondly, you must recognize the need to help somebody else. Verse 18 says, And behold, some men were bringing a man on a bed who was paralyzed. These brothers realized that another brother in their community needed some help. 
They didn't turn their backs and say, that ain't none of my business. I know it's not good grammar, but it's good theology. They were willing to come outside of themselves to help someone who was struggling. Some theologians said these men were paid. Even if that's true, they stopped whatever they were doing to help this man get to where he needed to be so he could be healed. Don't let selfishness rob you of a ministry opportunity. So you have to recognize the Lord's healing power. You have to recognize the need to help someone else. And thirdly, you have to recognize that you may have to do something that goes against the norm. Verse 19 tells us that you got to do something different. It says, but finding no way to bring him because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. Now, can you just imagine what you would be feeling like if you heard some folk ripping the tiles off your roof just to lower somebody in? Right. <laughs> you know that doing something the same way that you've been doing it for the last 25 years and expecting a different result is insanity. And so if you've been bringing people through the chapel door from Grace Street and they ain't getting healed, you might need to knock out some windows. Not here. We, are, we got a capital campaign going on. <laughs> So don't do it here. But you're going to have to do something different from what you've been doing. If you've been giving God the same praise for the last 20 years and the same amount of money and nothing is changing, maybe God is waiting on you to do something different. Maybe it's time that you go up on the roof and rip up some tiles. You can interpret that however you like. And finally, you must recognize that the Lord is worthy to be praised. In verse 25 and 26 it says, Immediately he rose up before them and picked up his bed and went home glorifying God. That's how I want us to leave here tonight. We have come to this place to be in the presence of the Lord. And in a few minutes we will be lifting up our prayers and petitions to the only one who can do anything about them. Let's go home tonight praising his name with the belief that we have carried someone to the Lord while allowing someone to carry us. So do like the scripture says, love one another because Christ loves us. Be the sister or the brother to care, who is willing to carry the one. And when you can't carry the one alone, find three friends who's willing to carry them with you. If necessary, tear the roof off and lower the one in need into the presence of an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving, all-healing God who is waiting for us to come to him. Make the commitment tonight to say, I'll carry the one. Please stand to your feet.